Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Strange Matters podcast. Here at Strange Matters, we discuss everything that is mysterious, bizarre, and unexplained. I'm Sean, and I will be the host for this episode. In this episode of Strange Matters, I will be discussing the story behind the discovery of the unidentified remains of a woman found in Norway in the 1970s. This body would come to be known as the Isdal Woman. The circumstances behind her death were quite strange, as her body was found burned in a remote location in a valley. However, the mystery behind this woman would only grow as the police attempted to piece together the puzzle behind this unknown stranger. In this episode, I will be going over the unusual details surrounding the death of the Isdal woman, along with the intensive investigation that followed. The topic for this episode was suggested to us by Jaren, so thanks a lot, Jaren, for both sending the idea in and for supporting the podcast. For any other listeners who would like to support Strange Matters, you can do so at our Patreon page. On Patreon, you can support the podcast with small monthly donations and in exchange, gain access to exclusive episodes and to help decide what type of episodes come next. The podcast has been getting a lot of listener suggestions lately, so I'll put a poll up on Patreon so the supporters could help decide what categories the focus should be on for August. And it would seem the winners of that poll would be the categories of historical mystery, unsolved disappearance, and conspiracy. So expect to see episodes of those categories in the near future. For any listeners who are interested in supporting the podcast, you can visit our page at patreon.com slash strangematters. For this week, I'd especially like to thank our newest supporters, Hassan, Ivagoff, and Chad. And now, to get into the story of the Isdal woman. This case would begin in the Isdalen Valley of Norway. The valley was known by the locals as Death Valley, and it was located near the city of Bergen. The dark nickname of the valley suited the place, as there had been numerous cases of hikers dying in the area. On November 29, 1970, sociology professor Orja Oyen was hiking along the trails of the Isdalen Valley with his two daughters. At some point, the trio would make a gruesome discovery. During their walk through the woods, they would stumble across a corpse that was sprawled out over some rocky terrain. The family immediately left to go contact the police, and it was here that the story of the Isdal woman really begins. Several officers would arrive at the scene to begin the investigation. As they approached the body, they noticed the particular smell of burnt flesh in the area. They found the body of a dead woman lodged between a series of large rocks. Her arms were twisted out in front of her. The entire front of her body was very badly burnt, and her face was charred so much that she was unrecognizable. Interestingly, her back was pretty much left entirely unburnt. The mystery behind this corpse found in the wilderness was just finding its beginning. Carl Oss was a police officer, and among this first group of policemen who arrived to find the strange remains. He said about the corpse, The body was burnt all over the front, the face, and most of her hair, but strangely was not burnt on the back. It looked like she had thrown herself back from a fire. Carl would say he still vividly remembers the strong smell of burnt flesh that surrounded the body. When the police arrived, the body in the area surrounding it was cool, so beyond knowing it wasn't a recent burning, they had no idea how long she had been out there. Even stranger, there were no signs of an apparent fire anywhere close, so it was hard to say where this woman got her intense burns from. The Isdal in Death Valley, as the region was called, 
had a history with death, as its name would suggest. Its notoriety would start centuries ago in the medieval era, when it was a popular place for people to come and commit suicide by jumping off the high ledges. In the 1960s, a group of hikers were walking along the trail in the fog and accidentally stepped over a cliff, resulting in several deaths. But the discovery of this burnt woman was by far the most disturbing part of this valley's long history. While the deaths in the valley in the modern times had all been hikers who either died from falls or exposure, one thing that stood out about this woman was that she appeared to not be a hiker at all. She was not dressed as one normally would be for a trek through the valley, and was found in a place quite out of the way from the normal walking trails. The woman had a number of objects found in the vicinity close to her body. Some jewelry, including some earrings and a watch, were found nearby, along with a broken umbrella and several empty bottles. These objects didn't really help the police at the scene make any sense of the death, but instead just add to the mystery. The jewelry and watch were not found on the woman's body, but instead placed alongside of it. This was the first potential clue that showed that the woman was likely not alone during the time of her death. Tormod Bonus, a forensic investigator who worked on the case, said about this aspect of the scene, The placement and location of the objects surrounding the body was strange. It looked like there had been some kind of ceremony. The bottles were no help either, as the labels had been peeled and rubbed off. The woman's clothing had been badly burnt, but it would seem as if extra precaution was taken to ensure that they would be of no use either. All the tags and production labels had been torn off from all the woman's garments. At the end of the day, there was absolutely nothing found on or near the body that could help the police try and solve this puzzling death. Within the first hours of this case, questions were already piling up. Why was this woman walking here? How and why did she get burnt? Why did it seem as if her identity was purposely covered up? And most important of all, who was she? Despite the lack of clues and strange circumstances of the death scene, the police began an investigation to solve this case. The body was sent to be autopsied, while law enforcement tried to get the word out about this woman in an attempt to find some potential witnesses nearby who could know who she was. The examination of the corpse showed a large bruise on the side of the woman's neck. The exact cause of this trauma could not be determined. It could have been the result of a heavy blow or strike, or perhaps just a hard fall. There were two pieces of information revealed after the autopsy that added to the strangeness of this already bizarre death. The first was that smoke particles were found in the lungs of the woman, and she had a high concentration of carbon monoxide in her blood. This shows that the woman was still alive when she was being burnt. Traces of gasoline were found on and under the body, showing that gasoline had been the fuel used to burn the woman. The second oddity was that over 50 sleeping pills had been found in the woman's stomach. The sleeping pills were phenobarbital, a brand called Phenomol, which is not found in Norway. Though this huge amount of medication would have been more than enough to cause the woman's death, the pills had only begun to be dissolved into the woman's bloodstream before she died. The autopsy concluded that the cause of death was from a combination of carbon monoxide poisoning caused by the inhalation of smoke and the effects of the phenomal. With no other leads, the formal stance of the police department and of the chief of police was that the woman's death had been the result of a suicide. 
Obviously, many others were not convinced that was the truth. Many other police officers found it extremely unlikely that someone would travel to a remote area of the valley, take dozens of sleeping pills, and then light themselves on fire. Policeman Carl Oss said about this statement, We talked about it in the police, but as far as I remember, very few thought it was suicide. I do not believe it was suicide. Regardless, without any other evidence, that was the official stance for the time being. Along with the autopsy, the police began a search for anyone in the city who knew about this mysterious woman. The police spread several sketches of the woman and put out her description. She was about 5'4", with long dark hair tied in a ponytail, brown eyes, and a round face. The police estimated she could have been anywhere from 25 to 40 years old. The case quickly became big news for the city of Bergen, where nothing like this had ever happened before. The unidentified body was nicknamed the Isdal Woman, from the valley she was found in. A breakthrough in the case happened when two suitcases that had been left at Bergen's railway station were found abandoned. The suitcases were opened and various items inside were examined. Inside, there were several sets of clothing, a few wigs, currency of Germany, Norway, Belgium, England, and Switzerland. There were also some cosmetic items, a hairbrush, some teaspoons, and a tube of eczema cream. There was also several pairs of glasses that had prescription-free lenses. These glasses would be the most crucial at the time, as a fingerprint lifted off of one of the frames matched the fingerprints of the deceased woman. It appeared as if the police had found the mystery woman's luggage, and with it, hoped that the objects inside would help them narrow down the identity of the corpse. Unfortunately, things didn't go so easily. Just as with the clothes found on the woman's body, all the clothing and the luggage also had all their labels removed. In fact, any identifying labels or marks on all of her belongings had been either rubbed or torn off. The medicated eczema cream also had its prescription sticker scraped off, so the police could not find out the prescribing doctor. Law enforcement determined that none of the clothing was local, and attempted to at least find where the woman could have bought them in an attempt to find out where she had come from. Multiple department stores from various countries were contacted by the police, with pictures and descriptions of the clothing found in the luggage. But none of the stores carried the clothing found in the woman's suitcase. There's also a notebook with some cryptic notes found in the woman's luggage, but that would not play a part in the investigation until a little later on. There's also a postcard in her possession that had a man's name on it. This postcard would lead them back to an Italian photographer who said he had given it to her. When asked about his relationship to the woman, he said he had just met her briefly at a dinner once, but didn't really know much of anything about her, once again leading the police to a dead end. Only one thing in the suitcase at the time gave the police an immediate follow-up lead. Inside was a plastic bag with the name of Oscar Rortweit's footwear store on it, a shoe shop in Stavanger, five hours away from Bergen. The police paid the store a visit and asked the employees about the woman. The owner's son, Rolf, said that he did remember selling a pair of rubber boots to a well-dressed, nice-looking woman with dark hair recently. This appeared to be the first known link of anyone who had seen the woman before, as the Isdal woman did in fact have on-rubber boots when she was found. Also, the store sold the same type of umbrella that matched the broken umbrella that was found with the body. 
it looked like the police could now say with some certainty that the woman had been in Stavanger before arriving in Bergen. Rolf was able to give the police a little more information. He told them that he remembered her well because she stood out while she was shopping. According to Rolf, the woman took a very long time choosing what she wanted to buy, taking much longer than the average customer in picking out a pair of shoes. The woman spoke to him in English with some type of accent to it, and had a calm and quiet expression during her time in the shop. The last little tidbit of information that Rolf could tell the police was that the woman apparently had a strong odor of garlic about her. Now that the police knew the woman had been in Stavanger for some time, they went around to check out the hotels in the area. When they visited the St. Zvithin Hotel, employees there confirmed that a woman matching the description of the Isdal woman had in fact stayed there for some time. Even better, the hotel had the name she had used to check in, Fenella Lorch. While at first this looked like a breakthrough and some exciting news, the police would quickly find that all of this was misleading. As it turned out, after investigations into other cities, the Isdal woman had apparently checked into multiple hotels. The problem was that at each hotel, she would give a different name. While Fenella Lorch stayed at the St. Zvithin Hotel in Stavanger, before that, a very Jarl stayed in the Hotel Bristol in Trondheim. Before that, Genevieve Lancier stayed at the Viking Hotel in Oslo. And at several points that year, Claudia Telt, Alexia Zarmache, and a Miss Linhofer had stayed in various hotels in the city of Bergen before the discovery of the burnt body in the Isdalen Valley. All these aliases were found to belong to the Isdal woman. What made this part even more interesting is that all these hotels required a passport and for guests to fill in a form before they could check in. So whoever this woman was, she seemingly had up to a dozen of fake passports at her disposal, all to use when she ventured around the country in the nine months leading up to her death. The last hotel that the woman stayed at was the Hotel Hordeheimen in Bergen, from November 19th to the 23rd. She had gone under the alias of Elizabeth Linhofer. As with other witnesses, the staff at the hotel described the woman as good-looking. One guest, who had been there at the same time, remembered the woman, and said that he saw her smoking a Norwegian brand of cigarettes. During this time, the woman, known as Elizabeth, kept to her room for most of her time staying at the hotel, and a few people who saw her described her as a bit guarded or paranoid. On November 23rd, the woman paid her bill in cash and walked out to call a taxi. This would be the last known definite sighting of the Isdal woman, and what occurred between that day and six days later when her body was found is still unknown. At all these hotels that the Isdal woman stayed at, she would occasionally ask for a room change right after checking in. At one hotel, she changed rooms three times in the few days that she stayed there. This type of possible paranoia could play into one of the theories surrounding the woman that would soon come up. One employee at the Hotel Neptune in Bergen, who remembered the woman, said that she seemed very stylish and elegant, even flashing a wink once she noticed she was being looked at. Police gathered witness accounts from all these hotels and found that the woman spoke German along with English. It was around this time that some working the case started to believe they were dealing with someone who could be a spy. This seems like it could be a pretty obvious theory with what they had to work with at the time. 
Though the death itself was still strange, the police had been able to figure out a decent amount of information of this Isdal woman leading up to her demise. She was described by those who saw her as confident and worldly. She must have had enough money to afford staying at the hotels and all the custom stylish clothes she wore. The woman also had items on her that could possibly be used to alter her appearance some, such as her wigs and the non-prescription glasses. She spoke at least two languages, had currency to multiple different nations, and had access to various fake passports that she used to frequently travel all over the country. There were only a few possible occupations that would fit into this lifestyle and activities that the Isdal woman exhibited in the months the police had been able to track her. And considering this was during the time of the Cold War, it didn't seem too crazy to think that this woman could have been some sort of secret operative or a spy. Now, earlier I mentioned some notes were found in one of the woman's suitcases. The writing was quite cryptic and seemed like it could be written in some type of code. On these pages, there were several lines of numbers and letters split into three columns, along with some additional lines of mixed numbers and letters further down the page. After the police had been able to find reports of the woman's whereabouts in other cities in Norway, they were able to break the code in a way. It appeared as if the numbers on the page corresponded to dates, and the letters to the city she stayed at. So it was basically a sort of travel log, it seemed. So the line O30, B, and 5 was showing that the Isdal woman on October 30th arrived at Bergen, and stayed until November 5th. It was believed that the P in one of the lines stood for Paris, but when the Norwegian police sent the information to the French, they could not find any more details or information about the woman. After this, any type of leads or clues seemed to dry up. Since not much else could be determined from the woman's body, the police decided it was time to bury her. They believed that she might have been Catholic, so in February of 1971, she was given a Catholic funeral. She was buried in a zinc coffin that would not decompose, in case the body had to be exhumed at some point in the future. At this point, with nothing else to go on, the case was considered closed. While there were still so many unanswered questions surrounding the life and death of the Isdal woman, the police of Norway had done all that they could in their attempts to identify her. Many of the investigators were reluctant to close the books on the case, and some found it hard to accept that they had to close the case and move on. For many who worked on the mystery, the case of the Isdal woman was the most puzzling one of their careers. But as it turned out, the case would not remain closed forever. 46 years after the Isdal woman was discovered, in 2016, a new generation of Norwegian police investigators decided to reopen the mystery and see if a fresh set of eyes, using modern techniques, could figure out anything new. A minor breakthrough happened when the jaw of the Isdal woman was discovered in a jar that was kept in storage at a university hospital. A professor of dentistry had been in possession of the jaw for some time after the Isdal case was closed, with the hopes that someone would be able to use dental work to identify the woman. However, the professor eventually died, and it was assumed for many years that he had discarded the jaw at some point. Fortunately for the investigators, he had decided to stash it away instead of tossing it, and now they could once again examine the jaw and teeth of the Isdal woman using modern scientific methods. 
The police would use isotope analysis on her teeth to detect faint chemical traces from the elements that made up her teeth. These tests can reveal the type of water that the woman drank growing up, which could help the investigators narrow down places to search. Another type of test could also show the food that the woman typically ate and the type of soil of the area she grew up in. The team conducting the testing were confident and hopeful. Team members working on the testing have said, it's actually quite a narrowed-down area that she most likely originated from. And also said, I'm starting to believe that we might actually find her real identity. Now the area that we have to comb is much smaller than we had even hoped for. Maybe this 46-year-old mystery can come to an end. The analysis of the testing shows that there is a pretty good chance that the woman grew up in an area along the French and German border. However, while these tests have shown police regions where the woman could possibly have grown up, so far, initial searches of such regions have still come up empty. The police were also able to use DNA analysis that wasn't available decades ago. Leftover samples of the woman's organs from the autopsy have been sent off for DNA testing. There is the hope that one day there will be a familiar DNA match that pops up in the database. But for now, the investigators can only wait and see. One thing that was determined, at least, from the DNA analysis was that the woman was definitely of European descent. Investigators hope with further testing, even more information can be discovered, which could give them a chance to find out who the Isdal woman really was. Now that all the details of the case and investigation has been covered, it's time to look into some of the theories and discussion points about this case. As I mentioned earlier, some of the police and investigators involved in the case believe that the woman could have been a spy. This has turned into one of the more popular theories involving the woman, and it seems to fit what little information we have to go on. She seemed to be somewhat secretive and guarded during her stays in the various hotels around the country, and had changed her rooms sometimes during her stay. This, and the fact that she was constantly using new aliases, could mean she did not want to be discovered or tracked, which could lean into the idea of her being a spy. She was also capable of speaking several different languages. Norway, during the time that the Isdal woman was found, was described as a hotbed of espionage and spy networks, as it was a barrier between the USSR and Western Europe. There were rumors that the Isdal woman could have been traveling around the country to secretly observe military movements and to watch missile tests though the investigators never found anything to back up these claims. Along with her lifestyle and actions that play into this theory, there is also the manner of her death. It would seem as if someone did want to kill this woman, and they did so in a way that would prevent any type of identification. Though the police were able to put together a somewhat broad description of the woman from witnesses, the extent of the burns on her face and head prevented them from being able to take any photographs that could make it easier for someone to positively identify her. It could be that the clandestine life that the woman had was not because she was a secret spy, but because she was part of a criminal enterprise. Hans Thu, a retired policeman, said that he believed that the woman could have been part of a check fraud operation. This theory came to light in the later 70s, as in 1972, two South Americans were arrested in Bergen for committing check fraud. Just as with the Isdal woman, these two men were both found carrying multiple fake identities and had traveled around the country. While plausible, 
There is nothing of real substance that connects the Isdal woman to these two men in any way. It could just be a coincidence that they were arrested with various fake passports in the same city that the Isdal woman had last been alive. While there is nothing concrete linking the Isdal woman to these criminals in particular, I find it possible that she could have been connected to some other criminal network in some way, which could give her the connections to people who could hook her up with what seemed to be a countless amount of fake aliases and identifications. There have also been a few rumors that perhaps she had been a former Nazi, and was on the run to escape war crimes. As this theory goes, she was eventually discovered, perhaps by Israeli agents, and executed in a painful way. While there are some slight connections that could lend to this theory, such as her possibly being raised along the German border and speaking German, the timeline doesn't exactly seem to fit. The police originally estimated the woman to be in her 30s and no older than 40, which would make her a young teenager during the times of World War II. So, unless she was committing war crime atrocities at such a young age, this theory seems to be one of the more improbable scenarios. However, if there is anything to help back up this theory, is that the analysis of her teeth showed the examiners that she was probably older than originally thought back at the time of the original investigation. So it could be possible that she might have been around 18 or 19 at the end of the war. So possibly old enough to interact with the Nazi party, but to me it still seems a bit of a stretch that such a teenager would be hunted for crimes for 30 years before finally being caught and killed. Along with the theories revolving about what she did for a living, there are several different explanations surrounding her mysterious death. If in fact she was murdered, whoever did it made an attempt to ensure that she would feel a good amount of pain before dying. As I mentioned earlier, the autopsy revealed the woman had been alive while she was being burnt, and the medical examiner who was in charge of the autopsy claims that it was likely that she was in a good amount of pain before she died. The fact that it was a painful burning could mean that the murderer did it for personal reasons. You would think if she had been targeted by a rival spy, for example, she'd have been executed in a more professional manner, so to speak, and probably in a way that her body would not be discovered, instead of just leaving her to be found by some hikers. So, in this theory, perhaps the woman was not moving around the country and using fake passports and names because she was a spy, but maybe because she was running from someone. This could also explain her paranoid behavior seen at several hotels. If this theory was true, then unfortunately for her, eventually whoever she was running from caught up to her and forced her out to an isolated area in Death Valley and then burned her to death. While the official standing on the case was death by suicide, it seems mostly everyone who has looked into this case disagrees. One thing that could somewhat fit into the suicide theory is the massive amount of sleeping pills found in the woman's stomach. Sleeping pills are a pretty common tool used by those attempting to commit suicide, and the amount of pills found in the woman's stomach would have been enough to kill her. Going along with this idea, you could come up with some explanations such as her paranoia and fear finally getting the most of her, and after growing tired of running around all over Europe and Norway from something or someone, she decided to take her own life. However, while overdosing on sleeping pills may have made this theory more believable, the fact that she was also burnt to death 
makes this a little more unlikely. Suicides by self-immolation are very rare. Some statistics I looked up have it as under 1% of all people who commit suicide doing it by burning themselves. And even so, the majority of this small 1% are also mostly male, making the Isdal woman's decision to kill herself by this way even more of a freak anomaly. While unlikely, it could be that this woman did in fact commit suicide, as told by the official report. Perhaps she made up her mind to self-immolate herself and took all her sleeping pills as both a second guaranteed fatal resort, but also to let the effects of these sleeping pills start to kick in, so she would not be able to escape or roll around the fire on instinct once it started. Though there is a possibility that she actually killed herself, personally I find it one of the more dubious explanations surrounding her death. Along with the sheer rarity of such a combination suicide of taking both sleeping pills and then setting oneself on fire, there are a few other circumstances to consider. One is the items that were laid around her body when she was discovered, such as her jewelry, her watch, and the bottles and umbrella. The investigators who looked over the crime scene described it as almost ceremonial, and it would seem more likely that someone else had placed these items around her, rather than her doing it herself and then dying in one spot without moving about while she was burning to death. However, there was a relatively new discovery that could also rule out the suicide theory, and seemed to point more towards the murder explanation. Five days before the Isdal woman was found, a young 26-year-old hiker was traveling along the Isdalan Valley. At sunset, he passed a trio of people. One in the group was a woman, dressed in what he described as city clothes, not fit for hiking. The two men had suit coats on. The woman appeared to be very anxious. As they passed, the hiker said he made eye contact with the woman. The frightened woman looked at him and opened her mouth as if to speak, but was nudged silent by one of the men. The hiker said that he felt a sense of danger as he passed the group. Once arriving back at Bergen, he told those at the house he was staying at, Something cruel happened on the mountain this evening. This hiker would later go to the police after the Isdal woman was found, recognizing her from one of the drawings posted about the city. However, his report was not taken seriously, as the police officer he talked to told him, Forget her. She was expelled. The case will never be explained. The man did what he was told and kept quiet, and would later continue on his hiking adventure. It would not be until 32 years later that the man would come back and once again tell his story, but this time to the public and media. From this witness accounts, there are two things to consider. The first is that, if true, it could show that the Isdal woman was in fact captured or forced in some way to march into Death Valley, where she would meet her unfortunate end. The fact that she was frightened of these two men made it pretty obvious that they intended to do her harm, and that her messy death was not a suicide brought on by her own decision. However, the second thing to consider is that this report might be misleading. This man didn't bring the story back up to the media until decades later, so it could be that he made this whole thing up to get a little publicity, or perhaps his memory of that night is not entirely correct. Even if he was telling the truth about what happened, there's no guarantee that the woman he passed was the Isdal woman. It could have just been someone else. It was dark, and he was not able to remember her clear description, so it could have been just any other dark-haired woman who was passing by. 
It could also be that he mistook some other emotion from the woman to be fear, or that his memory warped the scenario in his mind to better fit the story of what could have happened to the famous Isdal woman. So while this eyewitness account does give some credence to the theory that the Isdal woman was forced to go out there and was killed, it could also be that this story might have been a case of mistaken identity, or perhaps just made up entirely. Though this witness's story does have to be taken with a grain of salt. Overall, if I had to guess, I would think that the Isdal woman was murdered. I find that a more reasonable and likely explanation than her walking into the Isdalan Valley to kill herself, with a combination of sleeping pills and pouring gasoline over herself to start a fire. As for her life leading up to her death, I would lean more towards the theories that she was in some sort of spy network, or perhaps affiliated with some organized crime. The police knew in the nine months or so leading up to her death that she was traveling all over the country and also to other parts of Europe, always staying in hotels. Between this and the expensive clothing she wore, it would seem as if she was being funded in some way. She did not appear to be working at all from any of the accounts of those who saw her in her various stays across Norway, but she had to be getting her income from somewhere. I would think if she was just some affluent person traveling all over using her own means, it would have been easier to find her, as it seems unlikely that such a wealthy person could just go missing without a trace and no one noticing. Also, it seemed a lot more plausible that a spy or criminal would be in possession of fake passports more than just the average traveler. So while there are numerous theories and explanations for different aspects of this case, many are mostly speculatory and just guesswork trying to connect the dots of this bizarre mystery. With what little information we know about the Isdal woman, it's hard to say with much confidence what kind of life she had. Was she a spy? A criminal? Former Nazi? Or was she just a woman suffering from paranoia, who was living an extravagant but unusual life? Was she murdered, or did she take her own life? While this case is certainly fascinating and filled with potential clues... All we can do is try to come up with an explanation that makes the most sense out of all the strange in and outs of this mystery. For now, we approach almost 50 years since the discovery of the Isdal woman's body. Both the Norwegian police and mystery lovers around the world are hoping that modern science will be able to solve the case and finally let us know the true identity of this woman and what her life was like before her bizarre and mysterious death. Until then... The story of the Isdal woman will remain one of the most popular and intriguing mysteries of the modern era. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Strange Matters podcast. If you have your own thoughts or ideas about the case of the Isdal woman, feel free to write in to us. You can reach us at our email at strangematterspodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us and contact us at our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And finally, ask if you are listening to us on iTunes and enjoy the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and a review, as it helps promote the podcast so we can always reach new listeners. So until the next episode of the Strange Matters podcast, take care, everybody.